section seventy one of mysteries of london volume four this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit librivox dot org mysteries of london volume four by george w m reynolds conclusion of the history of the haunted houses part one three years had elapsed since the occurrences just related and it was on a fine summer afternoon that a tall handsome young soldier in the graceful undress of a private in a dragoon regiment was walking down regent street his countenance was somewhat sunburnt but there was about him such an air of gentility that even had he been far less good-looking than he really was it would have been impossible to pass him by with indifference his figure was slight but admirably formed and well knit his legs were straight as a dart and he carried his arms with that gentle rounding which is so compatible with military grace his whiskers were small but curling and glossy and the slight moustache that he wore was quite sufficient to turn the head of any giddy girl the more so that as his lips were always kept the least thing apart that fringe set off his fine teeth to greater advantage his rich brown hair worn short according to the regulation stood out in small but natural curls from beneath his undress cap and the somewhat darkly pencilled brows arched above eyes of deep blue and in which there was a melancholy expression that did not however deteriorate from the masculine beauty of his person his uniform was scrupulously neat his boots well polished his buckskin gloves white as snow and did he remove those gloves his hands appeared to be almost as delicate in complexion as a lady's in a word he was the very beau ideal of a soldier and nature's stamp of aristocracy was upon him yet was he only a private a humble private in his regiment we said that the day was remarkably fine and it was at that hour when the fashionable world goes forth to while away the time until dinner regent street was thronged with gay equipages filled with elegantly dressed ladies and attended by domestics in gaudy liveries and the footways were likewise crowded but with a mere miscellaneous company for when the daughters of fashion appear abroad in the afternoon the daughters of crime likewise come forth and yet we doubt whether the immorality that walks the pavement is so much greater than that which rides in carriages as the world generally supposes behold that magnificent equipage wherein the elderly dowager and the beauteous young girl of seventeen or eighteen are seated it stops at the door of a fashionable linen drapers and the dowager leans heavily on the arm of the tall handsome footman who hands her out while the young lady throws a rapid but significant glance at the slim graceful page who has likewise dismounted from behind the vehicle or again behold that gentleman on horseback moving leisurely along and gazing intently at each carriage which approaches down the wide avenue at length he recognizes the equipage which he is so anxiously expecting and riding up he exchanges a few words with the fair creature who is its sole occupant a day an hour and a place are named for an appointment of even a far less innocent nature than this one 
and the lover passes on with triumph in his heart while the carriage whirls away the titled lady who has already assented to a step that must lead to the dishonour of her husband again behold the splendid chariot with a coronet on the panel and in which three beauteous girls with their maternal parent herself a fine woman are seated would you believe that care was harboured in hearts where smiles appear on radiant countenances and yet the eldest of those sisters is a prey to a mortal apprehension she has been frail weak the victim of her own strong desires and the opportunity afforded by some handsome but obscure and ineligible lover and now she dreads lest a few months should betray her unchastity and ruin her for ever but we have not leisure to extend this picture we must return to the handsome dragoon who is walking in a leisurely but somewhat thoughtful manner down regent street and wherefore was he thus partially pensive because nearly three years had elapsed since he had last seen london and his return to the capital revived a thousand reflections which were indeed sufficient to touch his heart painfully he thought of his early youth the hopes which he had cherished when the future was bright before him the crushing disappointments and accumulated miseries that had suddenly fallen upon his head and his present position so different from what it ought to be yes and he thought too of one whom he had loved so fondly oh so fondly that his passion was a worship and idolatry and whose image was indelibly impressed upon his soul time had taught him the necessity of resignation to a lot which he could not alter a fate which he could not change a destiny which he could not subdue and though that same resignation aided by the faith of a sincere christian and a firm reliance on him who disposeth of all things had deprived his anguish of its sting and blunted the iron that had entered into his soul there were nevertheless moments when the cloud came over the handsome countenance and the soldier's heart swelled almost to bursting and this was now the state of his mind as he passed along the fashionable quarter of that metropolis where he had arrived with his regiment only the evening before he had no particular aim in view he was not on his way to see any friends the only being on the face of the earth in whom he felt interested was she whom he had once loved so devotedly whom he still loved with the mellowed and almost embittered affection of disappointment and whom he dared not inquire after much less venture to visit his return to the capital had unsettled him he felt no inclination to remain in the barracks and pursue his favourite recreation of reading and he had therefore walked abroad in the hope of diverting his mind from the unpleasant thoughts that intruded upon it the handsome dragoon had just entered the arcade of the quadrant when he was suddenly struck as if by paralysis or as it were with a violent blow dealt by an invisible hand he stopped short then staggered back a few paces and leant against one of the pillars for support his countenance the while denoting the most intense emotions for issuing from a shop were two persons both of whom he instantaneously recognized but on one of whom his eyes became riveted as if by enchantment yes there was ellen the ellen whom he had loved whom he still loved leaning on the arm of her old husband that man who had robbed him 
leonard mitchell of the object of such a fervent and undying affection but neither the lady herself nor mr gamble observed the young soldier for on issuing from the shop they passed down the quadrant and thus their backs were almost immediately turned upon him recovering his presence of mind and passing his hand hastily across his brow as if to tear away a mist that hung upon his eyes leonard mitchell for he indeed was the handsome young dragoon was already pushing his way amidst the crowd and hurrying after ellen when the thought flashed like blasting lightning to his soul that she was an elegantly dressed lady leaning on the arm of a husband who was evidently a gentleman of substance and he was a common soldier oh never never were the accursed class distinctions of an artificial state of society felt so bitterly as on the present occasion not that leonard mistrusted ellen's heart not that he feared of experiencing a cold reception from one of her generous nature but a sense of propriety a deep conviction of what was due under circumstances to herself and her husband caused him suddenly to stop short then in obedience to the new impulse which was received from this revulsion of his feelings he turned abruptly from the quadrant into one of those streets that stretched towards the district of golden square walking on like one intoxicated and with eyes that saw nothing as if all the powers of vision physical and mental were absorbed in the necessity of internal contemplation the young man felt as if he were going mad there was a fearful hurry in his brain and yet palpable and distinct as it were in his heart was the image that for years had been there but each feature each lineament of which had suddenly received the most vivid colourings of revival she was beautiful as ever more beautiful if possible in the glory of her womanhood and although her countenance was somewhat pale and had a melancholy yes a very melancholy expression this only added to her charms in his estimation by rendering her the more interesting by degrees his thoughts grew more settled the whirlwind that raged in his brain abated in violence and suddenly there sprang up in his soul a feeling of pleasure at the idea that her features wore that shade of mournfulness for oh there could be no doubt as to the cause she was unhappy unhappy on account of him she had not then forgotten him she remembered their youthful loves perhaps he was still dear to her that thought became more delightful as it seemed more consistent with probability and now he was not altogether so thoroughly devoid of hope so profoundly a prey to black despair as he had been a few minutes previously hope indeed what could he hope he knew not he did not immediately pause to ask himself the question but he abandoned himself to the delicious reverie into which the altered current of his thoughts thus madly hurried him when he awoke as it were from this day-dream he was astonished to find that it had lasted so long and without interruption for while wrapped up in that vision he had threaded many streets accomplished a considerable distance and was now close to the toll-gate of waterloo bridge entering upon that mighty viaduct he seated himself in one of the recesses and again gave way to the meditations which the incident of the afternoon had conjured up but how was it that leonard mitchell had taken the direction of waterloo bridge in that species of somnambulism under which he had been labouring because it was the way to stamford street and in his walking reverie 
an irresistible impulse had influenced his footsteps even while he appeared to be proceeding at random and what now was the nature of his reflections he experienced an ardent longing to cross the bridge to enter stamford street and to behold once more the house where all his early years were passed yes and to behold also the dwelling of her whom he loved but did he know that mr and mrs gamble still resided in stamford street he was completely ignorant on the subject and an ardent curiosity impelled him to clear up the point in question still he hesitated amidst all the feelings by which he was now animated and the longings by which he was prompted a sense of duty rose up in his mind of duty towards her whom he loved towards her husband and towards himself why should he incur the risk of meeting her and perhaps unsettling her studied attempts at unmixed devotion to him whose name she bore why should he do aught that might arouse the suspicion or excite the jealousy of the old man who doubtless treasured his young wife as a peerless jewel and why should he resuscitate all his own griefs and sorrows by an encounter with one who was lost to him perhaps for ever these questions did he ask himself over and over again they were the basis of the reasoning which he held with his own heart his own soul in order to crush the promptings that urged him towards the scene of past and happier days alas with all his natural rectitude of principle with all his generosity of disposition with all his honourable feelings leonard mitchell was but a poor weak mortal like the rest of us and while still arguing with himself he was traversing the bridge he was directing his way towards stamford street as he drew nearer to the end of the long thoroughfare that end which joins the blackfriars road he relaxed his speed and though his pace was slower his heart beat more rapidly at length he came within sight of the three corner houses he paused he stopped heaven alone knows how acute were the emotions that agitated within him then again he moved onward he called all his courage all his presence of mind to his aid and now he passed by mr gamble's house irresistibly he glanced towards the window his eyes met those of ellen and he heard the faint scream of astonishment that burst from her lips but the beauteous countenance had disappeared had she then fainted no her feelings had doubtless overcome her for a few moments but she speedily recovered she reappeared at the window and a rapid sign conveyed to him the intimation that she would come forth and join him presently all this passed so quickly as to be unobserved by any of the neighbours although it is probable that had ten thousand pairs of eyes been riveted on the house ellen would have not acted differently for she saw no one save him of whom she had heard nothing for three long years leonard half intoxicated with joy at the signal that had been made by her fair hand and aided in its interpretation by the expression of her countenance scarcely believing however that such happiness could indeed await him and not pausing for a single instant to ask himself whether he were acting well or even prudently leonard we say passed on the central of the three houses was still occupied by mr pomfret for his name was on the brass plate on the front door but the corner house the house where leonard had dwelt so many years and where his revered father had died in so sudden and awful a manner was shut up a board intimating that it was to let the young soldier had not however many minutes leisure to reflect upon the scenes 
of past days for aware that ellen could not prudently join him within a few yards of her own door he crossed the blackfriars road and loitered at the corner of holland street in a short time he beheld her approaching she saw him she followed the direction which he took and he proceeded farther down the comparatively secluded place which he had deemed most fitting for this interview at length he halted and in another minute his heart's idol was by his side she had purposely put on a cottage bonnet and a plain shawl and thus the few people who passed saw nothing very remarkable in a modestly dressed female in company with a private dragoon but even if they had attracted disagreeable notice what was it to them who had now no thought no eyes no ears save for each other without a word at first but after a brief though earnest pressure of the hand leonard gave the young lady his arm and they passed along holland street a few low but anxious inquiries were rapidly interchanged and as speedily answered but frequent long and tender were the looks they fixed upon each other a few minutes walk brought them to southwark bridge to which they ascended and when seated in one of the recesses of that almost entirely deserted viaduct the restraint under which they had hitherto laboured was immediately thrown aside at length we meet again ellen said leonard taking her hand and retaining it in his own while he gazed fondly upon her yes she replied murmuringly and holding down her blushing countenance but do you think the worse of me because yielding to a sudden and irresistible impulse and availing myself of my husband's temporary absence i thus stole forth to meet you to hear from your own lips that you are happy happy repeated leonard bitterly then unwilling to cause her additional pain for his ejaculation had already brought the diamond tears to her violet eyes he said how can i think the worst of you ellen when you come forth as a sister to pass a few minutes with a brother who cannot dares not visit you at your own abode but rather let me ask whether you ellen are happy the young lady endeavoured to give utterance to a reply but overpowered by her emotions she burst into an agony of weeping unable to restrain his own feelings any longer leonard caught her in his arms strained her to his breast and imprinted a thousand kisses upon her moist lips and her tear-bedewed cheeks for no eye save that of god beheld them at this moment several minutes passed ere either could recover the faculty of speech and then they spoke so low so feelingly and in such accents of deep deep sorrow that it was easy for each to perceive that the love of the other had not become impaired by time separation or circumstances you were wrong oh you were very wrong leonard said ellen to abandon your home and your friends the moment after your father's funeral it is true that you did not leave us altogether in uncertainty and suspense relative to your fate that you left for me a note acquainting me with your determination to enlist and earn your bread honourably but oh wherefore have adopted that distressing alternative can you not understand my feelings ellen asked the young man almost reproachfully my father's death left me without interest to obtain the situation that had been promised to me through him and his income likewise perished with him i had no claim upon mr pomfret neither would i have accepted elimazinary assistance what could i do i disposed of the furniture to pay off the few debts owing by my father and the expenses of the funeral and i made all my arrangements with as much haste as possible in order to be able to leave that once happy neighbourhood before you and and your husband should return to it 
i then repaired to hounslow and enlisted yesterday my regiment was ordered to london and within a few hours of my arrival i experienced the happiness the indescribable happiness of thus encountering you and now ellen let us think or at all events let us talk no more of the past i cannot bear to look back upon it but my god he exclaimed passionately and suddenly interrupting himself wherefore should i dread to retrospect since the happiness of the present is only transitory and there is no hope for the future thus speaking the young man covered his face with his hands and moaned audibly oh this is dreadful exclaimed ellen with accents of despair leonard i implore you not to give way to affliction thus listen to me my beloved one for you are as dearly and as fondly loved as ever and i hesitate not to give you that assurance oh is it possible can i believe my ears cried the young dragoon now turning upon the lady a countenance suddenly lighting up with the animation of indescribable joy and bliss as the rays of the setting sun played upon those handsome features but you forget he said after a brief pause and with a cloud again appearing upon his face that you are the wife of another then it is you who love me not exclaimed ellen in a tone of disappointment and reproach not love you repeated leonard oh how cruel of you thus to speak and again snatching her to his bosom he covered her lips and cheeks with kisses kisses which she as fondly and as passionately returned yes ellen you know that i love and adore you he added in a voice of the tenderest sincerity and i am not ashamed leonard to give you a reciprocal assurance said the young wife of another oh wherefore should i attempt to restrain my natural feelings believe me that i am much changed since last we met i no longer see things in the same light for to speak candidly i have a deep conviction of the disgrace of having been sold and bought for that dross which men so much prize i cannot help the thoughts that steal upon me and therefore it is that i have long ceased to look upon my father with respect i feel that he sacrificed me me his only daughter whom he might have made so happy i feel also that he who is my husband hesitated not to immolate the hopes of my youth to his own selfishness these are sad nay terrible thoughts leonard but i again assure you that i cannot combat against them it is true that my father is now rich and prosperous and that he sometimes thanks me as the authoress of his fortunes true also is it that my husband treats me with the utmost kindness but never never ought i to have been placed in the position to receive such thanks from the one nor such kindness from the other for between them they have wrecked my happiness blighted my hopes ruined all my youthful dreams of felicity there are times then when i feel as if it would be a relief to fly from the neighbourhood of a father whom i am almost compelled to look upon as an enemy and from the arms of a husband who is loathsome to me as she uttered these last words in a low tone but with a bitter emphasis ellen bent her countenance her burning countenance over her lover's hand which she pressed to her lips then you would fly with me even now dearest he said in a voice rendered tremulous by indescribable emotions did circumstances permit me to accompany you ellen made no verbal answer but the rapturous manner in which she again pressed his hand to her rich red mouth was a sufficiently significant response 
alas that may not be resumed leonard mournfully and now the young lady absolutely shuddered in his arms as if an ice chill had suddenly fallen upon her heart an instant before so warm with passion no that may not be continued leonard determined not to leave her in the least degree of suspense behold this uniform a uniform which is accursed under all circumstances not only on account of the soul-crushing merciless discipline and degrading servitude of which it is the badge but also because it constitutes the barrier to the wishes which you so generously intimated and which i so enthusiastically share but your discharge can be purchased can it not asked ellen bending down her head to conceal her deep blushes when i enlisted ellen solemnly and mournfully replied leonard i swore within myself an oath an oath ratified by all i deem sacred in heaven and by all my hopes of and hereafter to follow the course of this new destiny which i carved out for myself and if possible to rise to distinction in this service which i dare not quit i was young when i made that vow and the hope which dictated it never will be fulfilled for the english soldier is a serf a slave and the idea of rising ha ha and leonard laughed wildly at all events he added hastily and again assuming a solemn tone i respect the oath that i took and you who love me will not counsel me to break it but we can see each other often ellen we can meet as we have met to-night then with that assurance must i content myself leonard interrupted the impassioned young lady in whom as the reader may have surmised the hand of affliction the tyranny of a parent and the selfishness of the old man who bought her with his gold had deadened those delicate feelings and even undermined the virtuous principles which had characterized her in her days of happy innocence yes returned leonard with that understanding must we endeavor to console ourselves and now my beloved one it is time for me to leave you remember he added bitterly that though a man in years i belong to a service where i am treated as a child and limited to particular hours would to god that you were emancipated from this dreadful thraldom exclaimed ellen weeping nay i was wrong to say aught to afflict you returned leonard embracing her tenderly a few minutes more did they pass together exchanging the most passionate caresses and earnest protestations of unalterable affection and when they separated at last it was not without having arranged for another meeting at an early day it would be scarcely possible to describe the feelings which animated the young lovers as they respectively hastened to their abodes the one to his barracks the other to her home as we have before stated circumstances had so warped ellen's mind that she paused not even to reflect for an instant upon the dangerous course on which she had entered she had no longer any ties to bind her with filial love to her father and she never had any bond of affection to link her to her husband therefore all she now thought of or cared to think of was that she had recovered a lover whom she adored and she would have ridiculed and laughed at the idea of disgrace and of a ruined reputation had any friend counselled her in the matter on his side leonard was less hardened for such indeed is the term which might be applied to ellen's state of mind to the consequences of this new phase of his existence he shuddered at the thought of inducing a young wife to conduct herself in a manner so injurious to her husband's happiness and he resolved in his calmer moments 
that when he met ellen again according to the appointment already arranged he would represent to her the necessity of their eternal separation but when they did meet and in a secluded place she appeared so ravishingly beautiful and spoke with so much tenderness and seemed so completely happy in his society and was withal so unfeignedly loving that he could not bring himself to give utterance to the words that trembled upon his tongue words that would have chased away those charming smiles dimmed with tears the lustre of those melting eyes hushed with sighs that language of fervid passion and changed to dark despair all that bright and glowing bliss therefore they separated a second time with an arrangement to meet again and on the occasion of the third interview leonard found himself less disposed than before to make a representation which would be fatal to the happiness of both to be brief interview succeeded interview leonard resolving that each one should be the last until at length love's dalliance became irresistible in its consequences and opportunity serving in all respects the lovers were criminal from that day forth leonard thought no more of the impropriety of their meetings which thereafter grew more frequent and longer in duration we shall here interrupt the thread of our narrative for a brief space in order to make a few observations upon the condition of the private soldier and in the first instance let us record our conviction that there is not a more generous-hearted a nobler-minded or a more humane set of men breathing than those who constitute the ranks of the british army while there is not a more tyrannical overbearing illiberal and self-sufficient class than that composed of the officers of this army but how is the latter fact to be accounted for because the army is the mere plaything of the aristocracy a means of providing for the younger sons of noblemen and enabling titled mamas to show off their striplings in red coats what opinion can we have of the constitution of the army so far as the officers are concerned when we find prince albert suddenly created a field marshal such a spectacle is nauseating in the extreme and the german must have execrably bad taste or else be endowed with inordinate conceit to hold the baton of a marshal when he has not even the military knowledge of a drummer boy since the army is thus made a mere tool in the hands of a rascally aristocracy what sympathy can possibly exist between the officers and the men the former look upon the latter as the scum of the earth mere slaves on a level with shoe-blacks and hence the barbarous cry of flog 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 but there is no love lost between the classes for the soldiers hate and abhor their officers whom they naturally and most justly look upon as their tyrants and oppressors it is enough to make the blood boil with indignation to think that those fine stalwart gallant fellows should be kicked about at the caprice of a wretched ensign or contemptible cornet just loosened from his mamma's apron strings or bullied by older officers whose only excellence is their relationship to nobility and their power to obtain promotion by purchase the generality of the officers in the british army are nothing more nor less than a set of purse-proud bloodhounds whose greatest delight is to behold the blood streaming down the backs of those men who alone win their country's battles when the duke of york who was a humane man though as great a scamp as ever had a column of infamy erected in his memory limited corporal punishment to three hundred lashes the full amount was invariably inflicted in nineteen out of twenty cases but even this would not satisfy the bloodhounds who annoyed and pestered the duke on the subject to such an extent that he was literally bullied 
into empowering them to hold general regimental courts martial by whose decision five hundred lashes might be administered to the unhappy victim for years and years was the torture of military flogging in england a shame and a scandal to all europe and it was absolutely necessary that a fine fellow should be murdered at hounslow by the accursed lash before the barbarous government would interfere all the world knows that a british soldier was murdered in this revolting manner and in the presence of his horror-stricken comrades for be it remembered that when these appalling spectacles take place the eyes that weep and the hearts that grow faint are those of the soldiers never of the officers again we ask then what sympathy can possibly exist between the privates and those in command none the soldiers would be more grovelling than spaniels if they could possibly kiss the hands that cuff them or lick the shoes of those who kick and spurn them the british soldier has his feelings as well as others ay and his spirit too and he feels the iron of a cruel discipline and a heartless system rankling in his very soul the celebrated john wilkes was wont to say the very worst use you can put a man to is to hang him we agree with the dictum but we aver in addition that it is an equally vile use to flog him in fact the whole treatment of the soldier from the day of his enlistment until that of his discharge is one continuous system of tyranny deception is made use of to ensnare him into the service a crushing despotism is maintained to render him a docile pliant tool while he is in it and the basest ingratitude marks his departure from it when he is turned adrift on the world without a penny to help him the infamy commences with the recruiting sergeant is perpetuated by all the officers and is consummated by the government take the case of leonard mitchell in respect to enlistment the young man was assured by the recruiting sergeant that his pay would be a guinea a week it however turned out to be only nine shilling four pence from which five shillings ten pence were stopped for messing and washing two shillings seven and a half pence for clothes and three and a half pence for articles to clean his uniform with leaving seven pence per week or one penny a day for pocket money and this is the condition of a british dragoon with less pocket money than a schoolboy receives from his parents the government relies upon the fidelity of the army from the fact that it is offered by the signs of the aristocracy who are of course interested in upholding all kinds of abuses hence the belief which the government entertains that in case of a popular convulsion the troops would be certain to fire upon the people but in spite of the lordlings and aristocratic offshoots who command the army we firmly believe that it all depends upon the cause in which such popular convulsion might arise whether the troops would really massacre their civilian brethren if it were a glorious and just struggle for rights pertinaciously withheld and privileges doggedly refused the army would not act against the people even the government itself has fears on this head ignorant though it be of the real state of feeling anywhere save in the circles of the oligarchy for on a recent occasion when tremendous military preparations were made to resist an expected outbreak of the working men of london the government set policemen in plain clothes to act as spies in respect to the private soldiers these spies threw themselves in the way of the soldiers enticed them into public houses plied them with drink and in an apparently frank and off-hand manner questioned them as to their political opinions some of the gallant privates thus treated and interrogated and little thinking that they were in the fangs of the government mouchards candidly expressed their sympathy with the popular cause and as generously declared that they would sooner cut their hands off than draw a trigger against the people adding 
the working men and the soldiers are brethren what was the consequence the spies followed these brave and open-hearted men home to their barracks and laid information against them so that numbers of british soldiers thus shamefully entrapped found themselves suddenly placed under arrest their commanding officers did not dare bring them to punishment but they are doubtless marked men and will be persecuted with all imaginable rancor and bitterness to conclude this portion of our observations we must remark that if any disturbance had really occurred on the great public occasion now especially alluded to the troops were resolved not to fire upon the people but they were equally determined to avenge themselves most signally upon the police the day has gone by for the british soldier to permit himself to be made the tool of despotism he will not be behind the french soldier in noble sentiments generous conduct and enlightened feelings any more than he is inferior to him in bravery or discipline but the british soldier must have his wrongs boldly proclaimed and speedily redressed in many if not in most regiments the love of self-improvement is looked upon by the officers as a crime whereas reading should be encouraged as much as possible the barrack-room should be made more comfortable at present it is so miserable and cheerless that the private soldier is driven to the public-house in spite of his better inclinations in many instances men have become drunkards from this very fact and are then entered in the proscribed list though all this might be avoided were they encouraged to remain and pass their evenings at home the food provided for the mess-tables is seldom of a good description and frequently of the very worst the meat especially is too often of the vilest kind and unfit for human food yet the poor soldier dares not complain no not even in respect to that for the supply of which he is so heavily malted out of his miserable pittance drunkenness even every now and then is a heinous crime in respect to the private soldier whereas the various stripling that was ever dubbed ensign or cornet may get as tipsy as an owl every night of his life with utter impunity in fine the condition of the british soldier is wretched in the extreme and while the officer who buys his rank enjoys every privilege and riots in luxury and dissipation the unfortunate private who is basely inveigled into the service by a damnable fraud is persecuted for the slightest offence and treated on all occasions as a mere dog and now to return to our narrative six months elapsed and during that period leonard and ellen met as often as the duties of the former would permit while the latter cared not to what extent her husband's suspicions were aroused by her frequent and unaccountable absences from home and that the old man did speedily entertain the most heart-rending suspicions was a fact but if he questioned his wife she either took refuge in a stubborn silence or answered him in a manner that only provoked him the more pride prevented him from complaining to her father and he felt that he was now righteously punished for his selfishness in sacrificing the happiness of the fair young creature to his own desires at length unable any longer to endure the tortures of uncertainty and anxious to know the worst at once or else acquire the conviction that he had misjudged his wife altogether he watched her movements but she aware of his proceeding and without affecting to notice it adopted such precautions as completely to outwit her husband and to hold meetings with her lover undiscovered as before up to this period nearly three years and a half the young man had conducted himself in his regiment with the utmost steadiness he had never been reported never incurred the slightest reprimand from his superiors this was an extraordinary case inasmuch as the private soldier has so many persons to please first the corporal then the sergeant then the sergeant-major then the subaltern of the troop next the captain and lastly the commanding officer no not lastly for he must likewise please the regimental sergeant-major the adjutant and the writing-master well all these difficult objects had leonard accomplished with success and he was likewise beloved 
by all his comrades he was ever in barracks of an evening at the proper hour and during the first six months of his amour with ellen not even his sweet society caused him to be late we must state that the more completely to enjoy the company of her lover ellen gamble had taken a furnished lodging in the neighbourhood of his barracks and there they were wont to meet the landlady of the place asked no questions her rent being regularly paid and so little use being made of the apartments it was ellen's delight to provide the succulent suppers for leonard and these he did not hesitate to partake of with her but as for direct pecuniary assistance when once she had offered it in as delicate a manner as possible he refused it with so much firmness and with such a glowing countenance that she did not again allude to the subject one evening it was at the expiration of the six months already alluded to the conversation had become more than ordinarily interesting to the pair the supper was later than usual and ellen had ordered a bottle of champagne by way of an additional treat leonard was remarkably temperate in his habits and the wine excited him considerably he was not however tipsy only very much animated and the time passed away more rapidly than the lovers had imagined at length a neighbouring clock proclaimed the hour when leonard should be in quarters and starting up he snatched a hasty embrace and hurried away he reached the barracks ten minutes after the proper time and as he was traversing the yard deeply regretting that he should be even such a trifle too late he met a young cornet who had only joined the regiment six weeks previously hola you sir cried lord satinet for such was the officer's appellation what the devil do you mean by coming in at this hour leonard perceiving that his lordship was so tipsy as to be scarcely able to stand endeavoured to get away without making any answer stop there damn your eyes exclaimed the nobleman what's your number o oh, b fifty seven very well but damn your eyes repeated his lordship you're drunk as drunk as a beast i declare i'm not my lord cried leonard indignantly and again he made for the door leading to his quarters you infernal scoundrel vociferated the splendid specimen of aristocracy flying into a furious passion how dare you tell me you are not drunk why curse you you can hardly stand it was his lordship however who staggered i am sober my lord responded leonard still keeping his temper and pray permit me to inform your lordship that i once was a gentleman and that your lordship might have a little more consideration for a person so unfortunately circumstanced as i am a gentleman once repeated lord satinet with an ironical laugh a pretty gentleman i'll be bound your father was a costermonger i suppose and your mother an apple-woman a gentleman indeed why damn your eyes you'll be telling me you were a nobleman next a gentleman by the powers a splendid gentleman of the swell mob most likely were i now as i was three years and a half ago my lord said leonard scarcely able to master his passion you would not dare to address me thus hola you threaten me eh cried lord satinet come sir tramp off to the guard-room and i'll teach you what it is to insult your officer and be damned to you poor leonard was compelled to obey but the mere circumstance of being forced to restrain his boiling indignation gave him such an excited appearance that when he arrived at the guard-room the sergeant on duty immediately accused him of having been drinking leonard scorned to utter a falsehood and he did not therefore deny the fact but he declared that he was not inebriated a statement which was treated with ridicule to be brief he was kept in custody for three days at the expiration of which a court-martial assembled to try him lord satinet made out the case as black as possible against the unfortunate young man who in his defence most unwisely but very truly averred that his lordship himself was excessively tipsy on the occasion referred to the nobleman denied the statement with much apparent indignation and the judge advocate declared that leonard mitchell had materially aggravated his own enormity by such an accusation although the very officer who thus fulfilled the judicial functions could of himself have proved 
had he chosen that lord satinet was particularly disguised in liquor on the night in question the result of that hideous mockery of a trial was that the accused was pronounced guilty of returning home late in a condition of extreme intoxication and of grossly insulting and even menacing his officer leonard mitchell was accordingly condemned to receive three hundred lashes with the cat and nine tails he was then removed to the black hole where he passed a night scarcely enviable even by a man about to suffer the extreme penalty of the law for oh how could he ever again look the world in the face how should he dare meet his much-loved ellen how survive this deep disgrace this flagrant shame this damning infamy but we dare not pause to analyze the thoughts or describe the feelings of the wretched young man during the interval between his condemnation and the execution of the sentence end of section seventy one